0: Sometimes I think Jesus makes my job harder than it has to be. Of course, after hearing that reading and all of this about you're going to be persecuted and some of you are going to be put to death, you may be thinking the same thing about your jobs. I don't know. Most of my ministry, I've been a lectionary preacher. We do some sermon series here, but... Most of my ministry, I preach the lectionary, which is to say, I preach what the church says we preach. It's a, it's a freeing thing, really. We don't have to worry about what we're going to do. The church says, well, now we're going to talk about this, and then we'll talk about that. And you just sort of follow along with that. And it, it allows us every year to follow through the year, right? We, we start every year anticipating Jesus' birth and His second coming, and then we celebrate it at, at the Christmas season. We move into epiphany and we look at all of the ways in which Jesus is revealed in his ministry and his life and that pivots us into Lent and the journey to the cross and we we think about what that means and we come to Easter joy which we celebrate for 50 days. We spend almost the Sabbath of the year thinking about the joy of Easter. And after we celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost we move into this long season that we call ordinary time and that's really, it's really kind of a a lovely time of year what we do is we'll just we read all the way through one of the three synoptic gospels we read all the way through either matthew mark or luke depending on which year we're in and we are reminded of jesus ministry and his healings and his teachings or we read through some of paul's letters or we read the stories of abraham and moses and david and it's it's very easy and it's and then we get to november And every year we come to November. And November begins fine. It begins with All Saints Sunday. It begins with this sort of high and lofty and holy day of celebration and of remembering the saints. And it ends fine. It ends with this Sunday of the reign of Christ where we think about what it means to say that Christ will reign over all, the whole cosmos, forever and ever. But the two middle Sundays of November, every year, apocalypse gloom and doom and darkness and weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and the world's coming to an it's just it's as if November's not dreary enough we get that too and then this year just you know just to make things interesting as we're sitting in a new building that we've worked 20 years dreamed of for 20 years and worked the last three very difficult to get up and as we're renovating the sanctuary and the fellowship hall, just to keep things interesting, Jesus says not one stone's going to be left standing in the building. Now, I'm trying not to take this personally, this not one stone's going to be left, but I'm going to tell you, it's almost like somebody's sitting up there, I'm not going to name any names, but sitting up there going, well, let's, let's see what Fraser can do with this. They're in Jerusalem. Actually, specifically, they're in the temple precincts. And the disciples are impressed by the temple. And Herod built it to impress. This is not Solomon's temple. This is actually the third temple. It's Herod's temple. Josephus, a historian of antiquity during the Roman times, who wrote a history of the Jewish people, wrote and described Herod's temple. He said, Herod covered it with gold plating all around. So much gold, he said, that when the sun struck the temple, you could not look at it. You had to avert your eyes because... The light reflecting on you was so brilliant. In a day and time when they did not have the kind of equipment we have, every stone at the base of the temple was 40 feet long. The plaza the temple stood on was twice the size of the Roman Forum, four times the size of the Acropolis in Athens. Herod built this temple to impress. Mostly, I think, he wanted to impress people of what he could do. He built this temple to impress and these disciples, these Galilean fishermen and farmers, these poor rubes from way out in the country who've come to the big city, are duly and notably impressed at the temple. And Jesus is not, not a stone, he says, not a stone is going to be left standing. It always amazes me, I think, a little bit when two people look at the same thing and see something very different. It's sort of like that picture, you know the picture where they say what do you see when you look at this picture and you see either a very elegant and attractive young woman or you see an older and wrinkled woman. It just depends on what you see when you look at it, it depends on what you're looking for. The disciples look at the temple and they see majesty and grandeur and power and wealth. Jesus looks at the temple and he says a bunch of rocks and stones and rubble. And he says, it's going to all fall down. It's going to all fall down. Third graders, you guys you played Ring Around the Rosie? You, you played Ring Around the Rosie? You remember how to do that? Yeah. Um, they used to play Ring Around the Rosie too. I'm, I'm, I'm going to remind them of how they do that. You remember when we played that game, we would join hands in a circle and we'd move around in the circle and we'd sing or chant, ring around a rosy, pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. And then we'd fall down in these gales of laughter. Every time Jesus says, this is going to all fall down, it's going to all be thrown down, I think about that, except Jesus isn't laughing. And neither is anyone else around him. It's going to all fall down, he says. And then he, he goes on, he says, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes. Flood, famine, pestilence—it's just cheery November stuff. Jesus keeps throwing it at them. Bad news on top of bad news. He reads, he reads the newspaper. Now, usually when we hear things like that, what we do is decide we're going to prepare and get ready. We, I mean, we live in North Carolina after all. As soon as somebody says hurricane, or especially around here, as soon as somebody says snow, there is no milk or bread within a 20-mile radius of your house. We hurry to get ready. We hurry to prepare for these things. What's astonishing to me about this reading is Jesus says, don't. Don't don't hurry to get ready. In fact, I love the way the message translates it. The message says, Jesus said, make up your minds right now that you're not going to worry about it. Make up your minds right now that you're not going to worry about it. There's nothing you can do about it. It's going to happen. It's coming, this future is coming, and there's no need for you to worry about it. Now, I think this is where it's easy to miss the point. I think, in fact, the point has mostly been missed when we've read this story. I think that the Hal Lindsays and the Tim LaHaye's of the world, and everybody who's written the apocalyptic end of the world, Jesus is coming back soon, and he's not really very happy with you people books I think they missed the point because they've thought about the earthquakes and the famine and the floods and the disasters. And they miss this one little phrase that's buried right in the middle of the story. When Jesus said to them, do not be terrified. Don't be afraid. It's right there in the middle of the story. The single most repeated command in all of the Bible is right here in this story. Do not be afraid. Well, these things are frightening. Jesus is suggesting that on the other side of these things is the thing that we long for. On the other side of these things, is the world that God intends to create. On the other side of these things is the kingdom of God. Don't be afraid. I think one of the things I've learned over the years is when we're faced with a lot of change and disruption, we do two things. The first is we start clinging to what is familiar and we really don't want to let it go because it's familiar and it's comforting to us. And when we finally realize we're going to have to let it go, there's no way we can hold on to it, what we start doing is we begin imagining and hoping for a future that is all of the best parts of the present only made better. I mean, listen to the ways we describe heaven when we talk about heaven. And all we think about when we think about heaven is this life only the best parts, none of the bad parts. That's a common mistake we make. The people of Israel made this mistake. They were in exile, cut off from home. The first temple, Solomon's temple had been destroyed by the Babylonians. And while they're in exile, they start dreaming of going home. And they start dreaming of rebuilding the temple. And what they dream of is Solomon's temple 2.0. They're just going to rebuild Solomon's temple and build it better the next time around. That's their dream. And this poet steps up one day. This prophet steps up and says, no, new heaven, new earth. Former things, uh, they're going to be passed away. You're not even going to want to remember them anymore because the new heaven and the new earth are going to be so transcendent you're not going to be able to imagine it. You're going to be rejoicing in this new thing in Jerusalem. It's going to be a new place where wolf and lamb will be together. Every time I read that, this is an aside, but it's... Every time I read that, I think about Woody Allen saying, well, the wolf and lamb may lie down together, but the lamb's not going to sleep too good. The wolf and lamb lie down together. The, 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 the lion's going to eat what the ox eats. It's going to be... There will be no more infant mortality. Children will live to adulthood and the old will have full rich lives as long as they live. It's something you're, you're not able to imagine right now. It's something so dramatically different. And I really think that in the story from the Gospel of Luke, what Jesus is saying to the disciples are, look, these stones are going to fall down because these stones are nothing compared to what God wants to build for you. What God wants to build for you is a day unlike any day you've seen. And when that day comes, everything that has blocked your vision from the world that God intends to have will be erased and eliminated and you will see the glory of God. When that day comes, we're going to live in a world in a place where there's no more injury. There's no more harm. There's no more division or separation. There is just the kingdom of God it's going to be a day unlike anything that you can imagine Jesus says just don't be afraid the future is going to come at you but the future is going to be fine because the future belongs to God here's the thing dreary November days and everything going on around us. I think Jesus will to say to you, just don't worry so much. The news is going to be the news. The weather is going to be the weather. There are going to be things happening in the culture around you, and there are going to be things happening in the church. And they're going to all fall down. None of them will be the final word. The final word belongs to God. And on that day when God speaks it, we will rejoice. We will say or sing or maybe even shout, thanks be to God.